0: Welcome to episode 44 of the PharmaSec podcast. I'm Kristen Harm, associate editor of PharmaSec Magazine and our podcast host. PharmaSec Magazine is a multimedia publishing brand that brings you the latest commercial insights for the C-suite. As you guys can probably tell from my voice, it's cold and flu season again. Uh, Hope you guys are all staying away from everything that's going around right now. Uh, And please bear with me during this episode. This week, we're going to be hosting an editor podcast uh, where Lisa Henderson, Michael Christel, Julian Upton, and Elaine Quilici discuss our November pipeline report and then the pieces that they wrote around it to complement the feature. So let's take a quick break. We'll hear a word from our sponsor, Fingerpaint, and then we'll discuss the November issue.
1: Scientists believe that the human eye can see about a million colors. At FingerPaint, we think that's a good start. We're an agency that believes in giving your brand the color and the marketplace approach that no one has ever seen before. FingerPaint. Never paint by
0: number. Hi, everyone. I'm joined today by Lisa Henderson, editor-in-chief of FarmExec, Julian Upton, European Editor, Mike Christel, Managing Editor, and Elaine Quilici, Senior Editor of Farm Exec. Welcome back, everyone. Hi,
2: Kristen. Hey. Hi there.
0: So as I mentioned to everybody earlier, our November issue focuses on the 16th Annual Pipeline Report. So we thought it might be advantageous to maybe speak to our editors who wrote around the report this year. So I want to start off with Mike, who can give us a little bit of an overview of the Pipeline Report itself.
3: Sure. Thanks, Kristen. Yeah, it's our 16th annual report for those who are counting out there. We had a big one 15-year last year, so now we're on to the 16th. Now, this year, we decided to expand a bit on the, our report. We uh, gave it kind of a more formal presentation within the magazine, kind of like a center spread treatment with its own cover, own TSV, which you'll see when you, when you go check it out. You can you can actually see the report online right now um, in html version or a digital pdf if you go on to farmexec.com this year we broke down the coverage into six dedicated sections um highlighting what we think are you know the, the key areas or hotbeds of and r d today we also want to be sure to include a balance of emerging and maturing uh, therapeutic areas which sort of feeds into our theme which is uh which we kind of titled that we titled it from promise to progress we wanted to focus on research efforts in many of these areas that, we, that we're focusing on, sort of get across the theme that there, these, the early promise is starting to pay dividends with innovative advances in science translating to even new treatments, new treatment approaches, and you know in some cases, even curative uh, therapies. Um, the topics we selected this year, as you'll see when you go check it out, are cell and gene therapy, CRISPR technology, uh, cardiovascular disease, the continued evolution of CAR T therapy in cancer, not just cancer, also in other disease areas, opioid alternative treatment options, which is, you know, the big area, and also the latest in, in Alzheimer's disease research, which, as, as you know, has had a lot of fits and starts, but there's still a lot of early research going on in, in AD that is promising. We chose these uh, selected uh, categories based on input from our editorial advisory board, current industry trends in our own research, and the independent research by our writer of the report, Joe Constance. He wrote the report last year, so we had him back again. Um, he's an independent writer and analyst based in New Jersey. Also this year, we had the opportunity to expand a bit on our, our presentation, our our graphical charts, our support of the charts for the report that we hope, you know, our audience finds interesting. We parted with signals analytics a data, analytical, market research, and business intelligence platform company. Uh, we partnered with them on the charts, so they provided us with several graphical elements for all six disease areas, which you'll see when you go through the report. Everything from, you know, the target modalities being um, addressed in, in some of these projects to the which diseases are getting the most attention, to grant research, venture capital funding going into these areas, uh, patents being issued for for not just small biotech companies but big farmers get involved in some of these areas. The expanded research papers in areas like CRISPR and so forth. So you'll see those in different you know different forms. So we hope you, we hope you get some value out of those charts. Uh, so basically, we drilled down. Joe does a good job. He, he drills down on a lot of these promising therapies and new treatment approaches in all these areas. You know some areas are, are established. So there's like, say, cardiovascular disease um, is focusing on a lot of collaborative, actually, efforts focusing on new delivery methods, per se, or, or, you know, new patient engagement approaches to try to get you know, more access to these, some of these uh, therapies. So things like that, we drill down a lot of these areas, and, um, you know, we emphasize the fact that, uh, you know, as the nature of the business, there's a lot of small emerging biotech companies that, you know, they're involved in these efforts. Uh, and we wanted to bring attention to some of those, you know, that you might not actually hear about every day. Uh, so we tried to do that and uh, we also um, include within the report all these, you know, all these whether big pharma or small, you know, small biotech, bi- we include um, company links, interactive links to their web pages. So when you go through the report, just click on the company name and that'll bring up the pipeline page of that company and it'll give you a little more information on their development programs, their technology, and so forth. Uh, so that's about it. We again, we encourage you to take a look. Uh, we hope you find it valuable, and um, you know, just go on to farmexec.com, and, and you can you can play around with the PDF, or you can go through the um, online version, which you'll see there. So that's about it.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much, Mike. So let's talk to Julian. Julian, you wrote a complimentary piece about the microbiome. So can you tell the listeners maybe about how it relates to the report, and a little bit more about it?
2: Yeah. Uh thanks, Kristen. It's an area that's that's growing in interest. I, I don't think that we're gonna be at the stage of launches of some of these uh products anytime soon, or particularly soon. So it's 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 why it wasn't included in the actual main feature. Um, and so we've got a just this complementary piece. Uh and I think maybe next year it's gonna be something that we will certainly be including because um you know the amount the amount of companies getting involved in live uh biotherapeutics as they're called. Is, is steadily growing. And, and I think just to put it in context, I don't know, microbiome is not an, an, a word that's overly uh, familiar to people and certainly maybe more so to cons- the consumer market in the sense that, um, I don't know if you know, but all the, the, the probiotic and the the, um, the fermented foods, and supplement sector and the gut health, if you like, sector has been talking about it for a while. Um, but uh, I don't know if you have it over there. I'm sure you do. But Dove have brought out now the microbiome friendly Skin uh, skincare lotions. Just just talking about it from the consumer's side for a minute. And this is uh, you know it's kind of a new thing because uh, the, the ads over here anyway in the UK are very explanatory, telling you what the microbiome is. You know, a community of billions of friendly living microorganisms, either on your skin or in your in your in your gut or, or wherever. Uh, and um, you know, and then targeting that as a as, as a sort of a as a health area. So uh, it was interesting to look at what what's happening on the biopharma side. And think there's some activity in phase two and, and phase three um, and, and, and it's kind of, it's kind of growing uh, steadily there, so uh, you know like I say gut health, dermatology uh, respiratory health respiratory health these these are things that uh, particularly uh, C. difficile infections, things like that these are, these are things where some of the some of the activities going on if i could just uh, just go over some of the stuff that's been happening recently like in 2019 astrazeneca signed a um, 20 million dollar collaboration deal with Ceris therapeutics now they they're quite big in this area and uh, that's to work on microbiome medicines in uh, immuno-oncology ritter pharmaceuticals is developing a microbiome based drug which is believed to be the first therapeutic designed to reduce the symptoms of lactose intolerance. ABV are doing a collaboration with Synlogic, applying synthetic biology to beneficial microbes to develop what's what we call novel living medicines, and that's for inflammatory bowel disease. And Merck have just signed a deal to turn living bacteria into vaccines. That's with a UK company called 4D Pharma. So I think there's a lot Going to be happening in 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 the coming years. There's even a, a phase two trial going on with um, I think it's for, for Parkinson's for for, for using um, these kind of what they're known as live biotherapeutics for Alzheimer's uh, by by blocking microbial uh, metabolites in the brain. So and outside these 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 early areas, um, if we're looking beyond sort of next year, year the year after that, um, there's going to be you know. Some of the experts I talk to see applications for this, for these therapies in in, in cancer, in immunotherapy, in in all the gut disorders like Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, Parkinson's, as I mentioned, things like that. So I think it's going to be an area that we're going to be taking more interest in as, you know, from the industry side. And obviously it's taking off in a big way. It's already taken off in a big way on the consumer side. And so we kind of watch this space, I think, you know, see what happens over the course of the year and if this is something we'll be featuring in the main feature at the end of 2020.
0: Awesome. Thank you for that. That sounds really promising. Looking forward to seeing where that goes in the future. Yeah. Um, Elaine, let's talk about your contribution for a minute. You wrote, about, uh, you wrote an executive profile on the co-founder of AskBio, who's a pioneer in gene therapy which um, coincides with the cell and gene therapy that we talked about in the report. So can you talk a little bit about that for the listeners?
4: Yes, thank you. I had the privilege of interviewing AskBio's chief scientific officer and co-founder, Arjude Somolsky for this issue. Uh, genetics was always one of the areas of science that personally fascinated me when I was in school. So I was excited to hear all about the work that he's been doing in this area. Um, Dr. Somolsky was part of the team to identify a viral vector known as adeno-associated virus, or more commonly AAV, which has proved to be an effective and safe way to deliver gene therapy. We discussed the history of the field, and we even touched a little bit on the unfortunate death of Jesse Gelsinger 20 years ago. He was the first patient who died from complications associated with gene therapy, whose death kind of put a hold on progress for a while until researchers could reorganize and redirect their efforts. Um, Dr. Somolsky and I also discussed how the field has changed since that time, and he provided a glimpse of what the future of gene therapy might look like. Though many of today's therapies target rare diseases, he sees gene therapy eventually being able to treat some of the more common diseases, like obesity and heart disease. And it's unbelievable to think that one day, you know, we might use these treatments as commonly as vaccines. Finally, when I asked Dr. Somolsky about some of his greatest accomplishments, one was actually meeting the Pope, he deferred to a more personal experience that really brought home the meaning of his professional journey. It was helping a young boy, maybe about seven or eight years old, who suffered from Duchenne muscular dystrophy. And Dr. Somolsky saw how this boy got a new lease on life after receiving a treatment that he helped develop. It gave him a chance to look up from the bench and appreciate the impact his work could have on people's everyday lives. So this inspirational story clearly demonstrated to me the passion that drives his work. And, you know, these are just definitely exciting times in gene therapy, and I look forward to hearing more stories like this.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Elaine. Last but not least, we're going to talk to Lisa. And Lisa, you wrote about closing the science and manufacturing divide. So if you could um, expand on that, that would be great.
1: Yeah. So it was actually, um, the topic is um, platform development. So it is how the the increasing um, use of platform in biotech and biopharma, and when what we mean by platform, it's using uh, the technologies which Elaine just describes, particularly you know with AAV, um, it's using these technologies that deliver the therapies in a variety of um, therapeutic areas. So it's hard to identify platform players because when you submit your NDAs on the uh, clinicaltrials.gov or no, you know, when you go for your clinical trials, it's in your therapeutic area. So you don't necessarily know that they're actually working on AAVs for different areas. So that's secondary. That's just like a, uh, you know, just putting it out there because I, I've asked people, how do you find out, you know, which different areas they're in, but they're, they're going to be categorized in their specific therapeutic area, even though they're looking at, you know, vectors delivery for various gene fixing things, you know, in, um, targeted to different therapeutic areas. So that's kind of where the platform play is. But as Elaine mentioned with Asbio, and as I just said, they, they have this the AAV and you can't separate the delivery of the therapy from the manufacturing process. It's they're intertwined. It, they cannot, you can't have one without the other. It's not like, you know, um small molecules. So anyway, I interviewed um Salim Sayed. Um he's head of biotechnology research at uh, Mizuho. They do investment, you know, investment and research analyst. So he was really interesting and made the point that, and this is what I, I have in the article. So when you read it, you'll see it, but that, you know, we don't really talk about manufacturing when you're talking about small molecules. It hasn't been a thing. I mean, obviously, you know, here in house that, um, you know, we, talk, we have pharmaceutical technology magazine, that's our sister publication. That's literally what they talk about all the time is the manufacturing process for pharma development. It didn't really, you know, um, it wasn't a thing. You know, you have, I mean, okay, it is a thing, but it wasn't something that was talked about outside of the manufacturing. Now, you know, manufacturing matters. Not that it didn't before, but because we're having these complex therapies with very complex delivery systems, manufacturing becomes part of the discussion around these biotechs and these smaller biopharma that are on the cutting edge. And Salim had said, you know, we really don't know what makes a good manufacturer. You know, there aren't benchmarks around this. So in discussions outside of the article, you know, we all just had our editorial advisory board meeting and it came up in there and we'll be talking about it more, much more. It's not, this isn't going away that manufacturing and this complex manufacturing in these gene and cell therapies is just going to get more um, discussion because we're literally in the infancy of it. So, you know, to um, Elaine's article, Ask Bio has developed their own manufacturing facilities um, in Spain, you know, and they're really focusing on that because they really want to get the manufacturing Right, you got to have the quality, and you know people are concerned. And when I say people, I mean regulatory, you know, researchers, scientists. They want this to be right and quality, and and these uh, processes are, are just going to be coming more important. So it's fascinating to me. It's just going to keep going, and it's a it's a really good issue. So I hope everybody takes the time to read it. Everybody's uh, contributions really made the whole issue work really well together
0: thanks lisa and just a reminder to everybody that you can view the interactive pdf and the html version now um, on our website at farmexec.com. thank you everyone for coming on today and delving a little bit more into the issue we appreciate it
3: thank you
0: thanks thank you pleasure
1: finger paint Never paint by number. Visit us at fingerpaint.com.
0: Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's PharmExec podcast sponsored by FingerPaint. We are always pleased to take you behind the headlines, provide expert tips from industry leaders, and give you an inside look at what the PharmExec staff is working on. Remember, you can always find us on the web at farmexec.com, on Twitter at farmexec, on Instagram at farmexecutive, and on YouTube. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect the views of farmexec, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions, please email editorial director Lisa Henderson at lhenderson at mmhgroup.com. And for sponsorship opportunities, please email group publisher Todd Baker at tbaker at mmhgroup.com.